0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we're talking about seeing the real Jesus. And now we pray to the real Jesus that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and let your words speak to us today, Lord God. And that we would leave here with a clearer vision, a clearer view of who you are, maybe even who you're not so that we can go out into this world, that this society that you have planted us in as citizens of another country, so that we could be your ambassadors and that we could communicate who you are to a lost and dying world whose only solution is you. We thank you today in the name of Jesus, and I I pray amen. I didn't intend a few weeks ago to get into a series of seeing. I did make a half serious, half joke that we're looking at 2020, the year of seeing. Uh, but the, every week, the Lord keeps bringing me back to the topic of seeing, and and it could be that that it's uh, no accident that this year is 2020, and no accident that that obviously carries with it a seeing or a vision connotation, and that God wants us to see something. And, and of course, we started off talking about seeing God, seeing uh, beyond the grasshopper mentality, and today we're talking about seeing the real Jesus. And the reason for that is, is in the midst of many voices, that we would have a biblically accurate view of who Jesus is. Uh, We cannot allow any view of who Jesus is that is outside the biblical parameters. Um, I'm reading uh, the biography of Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. And it's interesting that one of the things they dealt with in the early 1500s were people going around claiming to have known things or seen things that were not biblically rooted. Some of them associating or or saying they were associated with Martin Luther were saying some outlandish things that had nothing to do with Scripture. And Martin Luther actually came out of hiding to to straighten that stuff out and make sure that people understood not only were these people not associated with him, but what they were saying had nothing to do with the Bible. So we want to make sure that they're in the midst of all the voices in our world today and all the views of Jesus Christ, that we want to make sure that we maintain a view that is biblically accurate. We'll also uh, arrive at a place today where each one of us uh, should be able to answer the question for ourselves, who do you say that I am? Or who do you say that he is? It's important uh, for us to be able to do that. And then to embrace and proclaim this image of the Lord Jesus. does us no good if we just embrace the image that we're called upon to proclaim who he is to people around us. If you turn to 1 John Chapter 1, we're going to be reading there in a moment. As a matter of fact, now. 1 uh, <laughs> John 1, and we're going to read just the first four verses. Now, later on, I'm going to bring us to chapter 4, so you may, you know, hold your place if you have a place. If you stand while we read the Word of God, and I'm once again reading from the English Standard Version, which says, you too may have, uh, have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our or your joy may be complete. You could be seated. This is obviously the Apostle John writing this, and I pointed out recently somewhere that uh, that within the life of Jesus, we see that he fed at least, in my opinion, at least 15,000 people, maybe 20 or more, with five loaves and two fishes. It says 5,000 men, so if you add women and children to that. Um, and then at another point, uh, we see we reduce that down to uh, the Bible says that after he was resurrected, raised from the dead, he saw 500 people. they met with 500 people. and then a little while later there was 120. Of those 500, I guess, that showed up at the upper rooms. I've often wondered, what happened to the 380? I don't know. But 120 people. And within that 120 people, there were 12 disciples. Of course, there was 12, and then there was 11, and then there was 12 when they added Matthias. Within that 12, that company of 12 disciples, we recognized that there was an, don't get, brace yourself, an inner circle. Whether you like it or not, it's true. Peter, James, and John were closer to Jesus than the other nine of the disciples, especially Judas, obviously. Um, And within that circle, there was John. John refers to himself, and I don't think arrogantly, but accurately, in his gospel as the the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's also some evidence that they are cousins, uh, maybe first cousins. So we're, we're getting a report, so to speak, in written form from the, one, the person who is probably on the earth, other than his mother, the closest person to Jesus that we know of. As a matter of fact, you remember on the cross, he looked at John and said, Behold your mother. He says, we proclaim to you, and I'm getting a little bit out of order here, I know, so if you're OCD like me, just hang on. We proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. We proclaim Jesus to you so that you may be drawn into fellowship with us. Relationship with Jesus draws us into fellowship with one another. If our fellowship with one another is not Rooted in and born out of relationship with Jesus. You've heard me say it. We don't have fellowship. We got a club. That's all we got. And then he says, our fellowship is first and foremost with the Lord. He says uh, in verse uh, 3, I think. He says, our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son Jesus Christ. Again, if our fellowship that we have with one another doesn't begin with our fellowship with the Father and the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit, then we don't really have fellowship. We might call it that, but the true biblical definition of koinonia does not apply. And so John says, the reason I'm writing this and the reason I'm proclaiming this to you is that you may be drawn into this fellowship. You can't be drawn into the fellowship unless you know him. It, knowing about him is not enough. you got to know him. And so he, he says, we proclaim this to you. And what we're pointing out here, beginning in verse 1, is that th- what he's talking about is not a theory. John is not talking about a theory that he had read in a book or he heard someone speak about in a sermon. But he's talking firsthand to you and to me and to the the readers. And he's communicating to us this very elementary fact, very elementary idea. And I know you're going to think I studied a long time to get this line. Jesus really existed. Now, in this room, that seems kind of silly that I would even say that. But I want to tell you that in our culture and in certain pockets of the world and even, sadly, getting to be certain pockets of the church, that's not an absolute statement anymore. Everybody, let's say that together. Jesus really, come on, y'all say, Brother Charles said you say it like Sunday school. Come on now. Jesus really existed. Such a fundamental, simple statement, and yet powerful. He said, John said, we have heard. We have heard. He's talking about from an apostolic standpoint. We have heard. With our own ears, we have heard him. We didn't hear about him. We didn't look at his Instagram or all that other stuff people use. We have heard with our own ears him. He said... We have seen, we have seen, with our own eyes, we have seen him. Now the people he's writing this to, most of them, if not all of them, have never seen Jesus. But John says we've seen him, and we have beheld him. We have perceived his existence by looking. We heard him, and we've seen him. Don't miss that. He's because he's what he's trying to say is I speak from a position of expertise. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with a theory. He says something interesting. He says we have seen him, but then he says we've looked upon him. Why would he be so redundant? Why would he say the same thing twice? The fact is. He actually didn't say the same thing twice. When he said, "I we have seen him, he's really saying that I perceived his existence. But when he says, we have looked upon him, he's implying, this is word in the original text, is implying that one is impressed by what he sees. Someone has said that the word kind of means looking upon someone famous or someone really important, however you make those determinations. Uh, It's also a matter of careful and deliberate vision, which interprets its object. In other words, it's not just, you know, I see that chair and I see well, there's a chair right there. But to look upon that chair, I I contemplate and make a deliberate uh, deduction that I could sit in that chair. And, of course, speaking from experience, just a few minutes ago, I was. Sitting in that chair. Actually, I never sat down, so never mind that idea. <laughs> he looked upon. We've heard, we've seen, and we've looked upon. And then he says something else. He said, We've touched him. We actually, we've actually touched him. And you've seen the drawings. I don't know how accurate it is or isn't of John at the Lord's Supper. Next to Jesus, laying his head over on his shoulder. I don't know if that's accurate, but I can tell you one thing's accurate. He touched him. He knows that he's real. He's, he's heard him. He's seen him. And he touched him. He knows he felt the substance of his human body when he touched him. He said, We have actually placed our hands on him. So then he says, This is where we started. Then he says, And we proclaim to you. Now his proclamation was rooted in, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, and we have touched. He can say, after all that, we proclaim to you so that we can draw you in to fellowship with the Father. And we can draw you in to fellowship with the Son. And therefore, we can draw you in to fellowship with us. And all of this begins... With an eyewitness and a person who is speaking from firsthand experience. Peter gets in the act in his second letter. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, everybody read the word. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses to his majesty. Eyewitnesses. You want to win a court case in either direction? If you got an eyewitness, you can win. Peter goes on to say, For when when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for, let's read that together, we were with him on the holy mountain. Of course, he's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration. In between getting scolded by the father, he heard what the father said. We were with him. We were eyewitnesses and we were with him. So Peter says, what I'm sharing with you, I was there. I know the real Jesus. Jesus. And as I stated earlier, we have in our culture and, gro- and sadly growing in some cases in the church culture. Do y'all know I'm more upset about the church than I am the world? Okay. The world acts like the world because they're the world. Imagine that. You've heard my analogy that we, we you know, a pig is made to wallow in the mud. They're, that's what they're made to do. That's their DNA. And what else would you expect a pig to do except to wallow in the mud? And we sometimes talk to people who are spiritual pigs. Don't tell them I said that. And we get angry when they wallow in the mud. Well, won't you, you need to act like you need to quit drinking. You need to quit smoking. You need to quit cussing. You need to quit, you know, fill in the blanks. Well, why? They're built to wallow in the mud. What we should be doing is praying, Lord, take that pig and turn it into a sheep because the sheep doesn't like the mud. Okay, am about to lose my anointing if I had any. The world is the world, but the church concerns me. Not this church, although I probably have concerns. <clears throat> no, you're not it. <laughs> Whoever, whoever was just thinking, it's probably me. <laughs> Jesus is not. There's a, there's, a, there's a an effort afoot to depersonalize Jesus. If we can depersonalize Jesus, we can cause him to lose his impact on our culture and on us. Jesus is not a mystic. And he's not a mystical figure. He's not, you know... He's not into transcend uh, transcendental meditation. We'll get to that after a while. Jesus is not the figurehead of a religion. It's easy. It's easy. Watch it. It's easy to let our minds slip into a vision of Jesus where he's simply a figurehead of Christianity. Now hear what I'm saying. Jesus is the head. He's the Lord. But he's not just a figurehead. Jesus is not an ideology. Uh, Sometimes I hear people talking about Jesus and I think they're not talking about a person. They're talking about an ideology that they have labeled Jesus. It's not really a person. And if it is supposed to be a person, I don't recognize it. Doesn't look like anybody I know. Jesus even is not a theology A theology or theology is the study of God, studying God. And Jesus is not just a theology. Obviously, if we study God, we're going to find Jesus because he is God. But he's not just theology, which is closely related. Jesus is not just a set of principles that we follow. Well, are you you a Christian? Well, yeah, I, I, I do all the things the Bible says and I try to obey. Well, but do you know him? Or is it just a set of principles? We can manipulate and we can work principles to our liking. You cannot manipulate the Lord Jesus. You may think you did, but you don't. And, of course, the all-time greatest is Jesus is a good man who taught good things. He's a good man, and he taught good things. And we've often heard part of this quote from C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to give you the whole quote. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said about himself would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Of course, that's from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He's not just a good—he was a good man. We all know that. But he was far more than a good man, and we'll get to some of that when we talk about who Jesus is. Who who is Jesus? Well, John starts this this book and this chapter and this—in the first verse, that which was from— The beginning. That which was from the beginning. It's important to note that Jesus was not a excuse me, Johnny, Johnny come lately. (laughs) Jesus was not someone who just happened you know, I said last Sunday we realize we should realize that Jesus did not begin on Christmas Day. He was around before that. For eternity. He says, in the beginning, in in his gospel, John in his gospel said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning. What is the beginning? I have no idea, except it was sometime before my time, and your time, and in the beginning, whatever the beginning was, the word was with God and the word was God. And we're obviously speaking about Jesus, the real Jesus. We just read where he said that which was from the beginning. And then in Micah 5:2, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, how many of you know what the Septuagint is? How many of you can say Septuagint? Septuagint is when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek. Now, that's a very simplistic explanation, but basically that's what it amounts to. In the Septuagint, this verse says, His goings forth were from the beginning, even from eternity. you get the impression that John and the Scriptures and Micah are trying to communicate to us that the real Jesus was from the beginning. God didn't create him somewhere along the way. doesn't say he was created. It said his, his only begotten, which is just a word that means unique, son. Not his only born son. Don't, don't ever think that that means Jesus was born of the Father. Jesus, I, I can't even begin to explain other than Jesus has always been. So this real person, this, this uh, person in the beginning is now, we're going to recognize that he, and I said this earlier, he is a real person. Jesus, The real Jesus is actually an historical figure. You can go back into the writings and the records of that day, extra biblical. You can go into the writings of that day and you will find historical accounts of this man that we call the Lord Jesus. Uh, One of the contemporaries is a guy named Josephus. Some some of you read his stuff. Um, Josephus' book does not appear in the Bible. I only know that Josephus was a Christian, but he was a Jewish historian, and he records pages and pages and pages of our Lord Jesus. There's no no one, I don't think anyone, within uh, any sense of sensibility, would try to say to you and to me that Jesus never existed, that he was not a historical figure. They want to adjust that some. But John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was made flesh, born as a human being through the womb of a virgin, he was, he was made flesh. He became one of us. He walked the earth and changed, or actually well, changed our calendar. You say, well, did Jesus have an effect on our culture? Well, yeah. When you see AD, when you see your calendar, then you, you see Jesus had an effect on our culture because he was a real person who really walked the earth, who really talked who really dealt with people and engaged with people as he assumed our lower nature and took up residence among us. And because of that, he was a real person. Who, who is the real Jesus? The Bible tells us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God chose to come and be a part of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, A number of years ago, a guy by the name of Eric Bazillion, I don't know if he has a bazillion dollars, I don't know, (laughs) wrote a song, John Osborne recorded it, Uh, and here are some of the lyrics. If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets, would you still want to believe? And then, of course, the the hook line of the song, many of you are familiar with it, is what if God was one of us? What if God was one of us? Well, we don't have to say what if, because God is and was one of us. God did come in the person of Jesus Christ and walk among us. And he was very God and he was very man. He did become a human being. Isn't it great? We have an advocate, the scripture teaches us, sitting on the throne of God that can relate to everything we go through. Everything. You say, well, he doesn't understand. Yeah, he does. Now, he didn't succumb to any of the sin that we do. But he was tempted in every way that you and I are. He understands. And he's sitting next to the Father, having been God among us. What better advocate and and intercessor could we have than him? He made a statement to the Pharisees. He said, I... And the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now to you and to me, that may be an innocuous statement. But not to those Jewish people standing around him. They picked up rocks. As soon as he said, I and my Father are one, they picked up stones. And they weren't picking them up to collect them. They weren't looking for a pet rock. They were going to stone him. Why? Here's what they said. You claim to be God. When did he claim to be God? When he said, I and the Father are one, the Jewish people knew that meant that he was equal with God. And that's blasphemy in their minds. You claim to be God. Why is that important? Because some of the voices that are running around out there today are trying to make us think that he wasn't God. Acts 20, 28, Paul says this, this care for the church of, say it, God. which he purchased with his own blood. Care for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Who sheds the blood? Jesus did. So the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Jesus is God. You say, well, I knew that already. Well, then you can go ahead and take a nap. <laughs> but the truth must be Proclaimed. Not because we don't know it, but because there are voices that attempt to contradict that. This is sort of interesting. Jesus is not just teachings. Jesus is the teaching. It's when you know Jesus, when you, when you know him in a relationship way, when you have, when you have prayer and fellowship with him, you learn. In, the old, in, in Jeremiah, when he prophesied the new covenant, and in Hebrews, when it's repeated, it says, they shall no longer teach their neighbor to know the Lord. For one thing, you can't. I can't teach you to know God. I can teach you that you should. I may even give you some ideas and some pointers of how you can get there, but I can't teach you to know God. He said, no longer will they teach their neighbors to know the Lord, but the but the Lord will be part of them. And when you fellowship and worship Jesus, you learn. Now there's nothing wrong with teaching or I wouldn't be standing up here. But Jesus is not just a bunch of teachings. He is the teaching. John calls him the word of life in this passage. Word of life or the word of God. He's, he's, he says concerning the word of life. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus. The word of, Of life. So from him we receive life. Where does the life come from? Does it just come from information? Now information is important. But I'm going to tell you. Information does not impart formation. Word of life. And again in the original text. That's a word. A word is something. That we use to communicate with others. There's a communication taking place. It's, a, it's an instrument we use to describe something. Say with me now. It's time to wake up. It, it's an instrument to describe something. And I want to tell you that God, in sending Jesus the Son, was communicating with us through the Son, through Lord Jesus. He was God's instrument. For those listening on the podcast, I'm giving quotations. Actually, one place I read it said he was God's tool, and I couldn't bring myself to do that. I'd rather say instrument. He was God's instrument to describe God to man. That's why he's the word of life. And that's why he Philip can say, show us The Father. And Jesus said, as long as you've been with me, you still don't know the Father. If you've seen me, this also made the Jews upset. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Word of life. Christ was not simply a personification of God's revelation, as the Jews thought. But he was indeed God's perfect revelation of himself in the flesh. Word of life. John, in a sense, is pointing us back to the Old Testament. You've often heard me say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They go together. John is pointing us back to the Old Testament where the Logos or the Word of God is associated with, especially in a Jewish mind, is associated with the personification of God's revelation. When you see that, when a Jewish mind sees that, that's what they hear, that's what they see. Word of God. And if we have any doubts about who John's talking about in either his gospel or his letter, we we fast forward to Revelation 19.13, which tells us he is clothed, in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God, Jesus himself. Aren't you glad you worship Jesus? Now, we're going to just spend the last minute or two or three or 50 here uh, talking about discerning the voices. Turn over to, if you haven't, turn over to chapter 4. 1 John 4. Or flip, scroll, tap, whatever you got to do to get to 1 John 4. I'm just going to read three verses. 1 John, John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. How many of you believe the spirit of the Antichrist is here? I don't know about all the other stuff, whether the Antichrist is here or what he is or what he looks like or when he's coming. Uh, I I just, I don't have enough time to fool with all that. But the spirit of Antichrist is certainly here. And because of that, there's a multiplicity of voices. He calls them false prophets that are proclaiming sometimes what I call slight deviations, Can I tell you that if I give you a a complete reverse of what God says, you're never going to buy it? But if I can give you a slight deviation, if you're not careful, I can lure you into a way of thinking that is unbiblical. Slight deviations from the truth, and they can cause us to be confused. And it ultimately may succeed in removing us from our mission. Removing us from what God has us doing. Slight deviations. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Why would he ask this question? Why would he ask the question to his disciples and by proxy to you and to me? Who do you say that I am? It was a vital question, and it was seeking a vital answer. It's vital. That we know the correct answer or answers. It's, it's vital that we can answer that question. You, me, every person who names the name of Jesus should be able to say, answer the question, who do you say that he is? Not, not that you give a deep, theological, intricate answer, but our hearts can reply, who, who do you say that he is? He asked his disciples that, and said, so why do people say, who do people say, that the son of man he is. And they said. Well now some said John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. How many of you recognize. These are all good godly men that God used. These are not devils. These are not demons. These are not demon possessed people. These are good people. John the Baptist. Elijah. Jeremiah. Some say you're one of these three. What's key here? They never gave the right answer. They gave everything but the right answer. Slight deviation. We have to ask ourselves the question today, what, what place is Jesus given by the multitude of voices? What place does our culture give him? And I want to tell you that that which distinguishes the people of the world from the people of God is how they handle Jesus Christ. People ask me, what do you think about this group or that denomination or that church? I say, well, to me, the, the real question is, what do they do with Jesus? That's what I want to know. And, you know, I don't know, I don't care whether they believe in speaking in tongues or don't believe in speaking in tongues. I don't, I, I don't care whether they believe in, just go down the list. What I do care about is, what do they do with Jesus? How do they handle the real Jesus? And there's a lot of people that I might not agree With exactly, there's a group going in right next door here, the the Coptic Christians, Egyptian Coptic Christians. I don't know a lot about them, but one thing I do know, they worship the same Jesus we do. That's all I need to know. We were thinking about selling this building one time, and they came and looked at it, and the guy that would be their leader, I don't know what terminology they use, he was a big old tall fellow, had a nice flowing colored robe with a collar, and I thank the Lord I wasn't born in Egypt. <laughs> good people. Anyway, if you see that going on next door, don't be nervous. They're good people. How do they handle Jesus? I want to recommend a book to you written by Philip Yancey. And the title of the book is The Jesus I Never Knew. It's been out a while. You probably get it on eBay for a couple of bucks. One of the, if, 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 a number of you have asked me over the years, you've asked me for a recommended reading list, which I have. And on the list is that book, and I highly recommend Another one that I don't have a picture of is uh, called Jesus Mean and Wild. Wait a minute, a book talking about Jesus being mean? Get the book and read it. Jesus mean, but anyway, the Jesus I never knew because society and sometimes the church wants to teach us who Jesus is, but they don't really. I've said enough of that. And then there's an article by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, and Kevin DeYoung is associated with. He's pastors a church in North Carolina, but he's also associated with the Gospel Coalition, who do great work. If you if you want to look up some of the stuff with. The Gospel Coalition, he wrote an article five years ago called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And I'm going to read some, I'm going to throw some of, of it on the screen, but I'm not going to try to comment on hardly any of it. Uh, so, and uh, yeah, there he is. The greatness of God is mostly, most clearly displayed in his son. The glory of the gospel is only made evident in his son. That's why Jesus' question was so important. Who do you say that I am? It's double crucial, doubly crucial in our day because not every Jesus is the real Jesus. Almost no one is as popular in this country as Jesus. Hardly anyone would dare to say a bad word about him. Just look at what a superfly friendly dude he is. <laughs> up there. But how many people know the real jesus Now I'm going to go through this quickly but just hear the hear the entirety. If you don't like any of these blame it on Kevin Doan. There's Republican Jesus who is against tax increases and activist judges and for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus who is against Wall Street and Walmart and for reducing our carbon footprint and spending other people's money. I didn't write this. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's Touchdown Jesus, y'all love this one, who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. Tighten up. There's Martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. Don't miss that. There's Gentle Jesus, who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, walks around barefoot wearing a sash, and looks German. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give a piece a chance imagine a world without religion. And helps us remember all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. Oh, wait a minute. We just bought a boat. There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine. He wants us to find the God within and wants us to be listening to ambiguously spiritual music. That says musical, but I think it's a typo. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons. He inspires people to believe in themselves and lifts us up so we can walk on mountains. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and dream up impossible utopian schemes. There's Guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's Boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arm around us as we sing about intoxicating love in our secret place. I got to stick this in here. Just bear with me. I was telling Kenna this morning, I heard a song on the radio where God is saying to someone, I miss my time with you. I wanted to blow my radio up. There is nothing in the sufficiency of God that depends on us. Okay, I'll move on. There's good example, Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there, this won't be up there, so just hang with me. And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Not just another prophet. Not just another rabbi. Not just another wonder worker. He was the one they had been waiting for. For the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law. Yahweh in the flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule. The one to heal the sick. Give sight to the blind. Freedom to the prisoners. And proclaim good news to the poor. The Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to earth in the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that spoke of the serpent, the Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood, the Christ promised to Abraham, the Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king. The Christ revealed to Isaiah as the suffering servant. The Christ predicted through the prophets. And prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood. Or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son. Savior of the world. And substitute for our sins sins more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. That's the real Jesus. A guy named David Jackman said there's an attraction in restating the Christian gospel, in changing the message from one of submission to the lordship of Jesus to one of following his splendid example. I'm not against the what would Jesus do bracelets. But the gospel far exceeds what would Jesus do. But it should be who Jesus is. Restating the Christian gospel and changing the message from one of submission, to the lordship of Jesus Christ to one of following his splendid example or asking him to touch us up in those areas of our lives that we need a fresh coat of paint. It is all that, that thinking is all governed by this world and the desire to make it a more comfortable place where you can enjoy yourself more. It has nothing to say on the issues of eternity. It has no dynamic by which lives can be changed and offers no ultimate significance beyond the grave. That's, it's just too tempting. The real Jesus... We see in the Bible as a warrior coming in on a white horse. And at the same time, he's the gentle shepherd that guards his sheep. We see Jesus saying, permit the children to come to me, being entirely receptive to people coming to him and children. Children are people, by the way. We see the same Jesus driving people out of the temple with a whip that he himself fashioned. John is told by a man in Revelation, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. John turns and looks and he says, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. There, he, there's the lion. But what I see is a lamb. So the question begs, is Jesus the lion or is he the lamb? Yes, he is the lion, he is the Worship team, come on up. He is the lion and he is the lamb. And what what I hope we've done today is painted a picture and created an, an environment where your eyes have been able to see the real Jesus. Because if you're going to proclaim, like John writes that he proclaims, we need to make sure we're proclaiming the real jesus and so the worship team sent out a list of songs they were going to do and they had this one in their hip pocket that they could do and i said you got to do it we're going to join with them and this is how we'll close our time together singing Jesus. jesus messiah let's stand
1: Became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and He carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love. Christmas time. this morning we thank you for just a chance to see a glimpse of who you are thank you for the word thank you that you are the living word father help us this this day forward this week father just to seize those opportunities to get into your presence to get more of who you are in your presence and your spirit in our life father to cling to you father you don't need us to validate you but we need you father so we cling to We run to you. We hold on to you. Father, help us to do that this week, Father, just to know more of who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, as we go in your precious name. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Amen. Jesus, my son, above all